Here we go. It is NCAA Tournament Week. I'm Pete Mundo on HeartlandCollegeSports.com as uh, we now welcome on our lead basketball writer, Matthew Postens. He was here in Kansas City covering the men's and the women's tournaments over the last uh, several days. Matthew, you are going to sleep well this week, my friend, but you can't sleep too long because we've got games starting on Thursday. Uh, well, I mean, actually, technically, we got games starting on Tuesday. Oklahoma State goes to uh, Youngstown State for their first-round NIT game because apparently they don't have enough staff to staff the arena because they're all going to be in Tulsa hosting the national championships for wrestling because Oklahoma State is the host institution. So, okay. Uh, not, not only did the Cowboys get screwed out of the NCAA tournament, but they got to go on the road for the first round. Oh, my goodness. See, this guy never stops. You're right. Tuesday night, NIT, Oklahoma State. Well, let's start there. Oklahoma State on the outside looking in, uh, the first team to miss the NCAA tournament. There were teams that got in, notably Pittsburgh, uh, that had a net ranking that was like 20 below where Oklahoma State was. Their net ranking was in the top uh, 45. Pitt was at 67. Arizona State got in with a net ranking of 66. Did the committee get it right, or did Oklahoma State get hurt by the fact that they were in the toughest league in America? I think they must have gotten hurt by the fact that they were in the toughest league in America. And, you know, think about this, too. You know, they have one more conference win than West Virginia, and West Virginia got in comfortably. Um, I heard the committee's explanation about leaving Oklahoma State out. It was, you know, you played 18 quad one games and you only won six. Okay, I get that, but they still won six of those quad one games. It's not their fault they play in a conference where every single game is a quad one or a quad two game. Um, I think what might have hurt them down the stretch was kind of the way they limped to the finish. You know, some you know the, the committee does take into account injuries. They know Musa Cisse missed a good portion of the season. They know Avery Anderson is out and may not come back. You know, they kind of limped it down the stretch in terms of their finish, and I think that may have hurt them more than anything else. I think if they had won a couple more games down the stretch, they probably would have been comfortably in the field. I agree, and I think that, you know, the last impression that the committee had of Oklahoma State was that horrible performance against Texas in the Big 12 quarterfinals where they didn't even crack the 50-point mark. I mean, yeah. it shouldn't necessarily matter, Matthew, but everyone's human, and when that's the last time the committee sees you play basketball – Let's be honest, that was an ugly performance. Yeah, it was. And it shows you how much Avery Anderson means to them as far as their offense is concerned. Uh, they just, you know, when he got hurt, when he hurt his wrist, uh, their offense just seemed to go off a cliff. Yeah, it did. Now, the other thing that I thought the committee got woefully wrong, I think this is even worse than what happened with Oklahoma State. That is Kansas not getting the one seed in the Midwest Regional um, instead of the one seed in the Midwest Regional, they get the one seed in the West because the committee gave Houston a higher one seed than it did Kansas. So basically, Houston got the number two overall seed. Kansas got the number three overall seed. They're both one seeds, but as a result, KU does not have the chance to play its Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games if they were to get there in Kansas City, right in their backyard, of course, where we just were for the Big 12 tournament. How does this happen, Matthew, when Kansas has the number one strength of schedule in the country and Houston's is 96th? I think it's a miss, honestly, by the committee. I mean, you know, we just made the argument about Oklahoma State only winning six of their 18 quad one games. Okay, fine. 
Here's a team in Kansas that won 15 of the quad one games they played. And we need to understand NCAA net rating is not the only tool the committee uses to select the field, but it's also the most publicly transparent yes. tool they use to select the field. So when you see a team like Kansas who played in the toughest conference in the country, who won 15 quad one games far and away more than anybody else in the country, it should be a pretty clear signal to anybody that this is a team that is at worst one of the top two teams in the country. I, I think I think Houston's a great team. I think uh, they gave them a little bit of a little bit more deference than they deserved. I thought it was very odd the committee said we took Bill Self's status into account. I thought that was one of the strangest things I think I've ever heard. And at the same time, they said they also took into account Marcus Sasser's status. He hurt himself during the American Athletic Tournament. Usually, player injuries take more weight than than coaching issues. So, it just seemed like the logic to me just didn't quite add up uh, with them, you know, not being in the Midwest region. Although, hey, my my Lyft driver this morning said, hey, you know what? Every time we're in the Midwest region and we get come through Kansas City, we lose. So he's actually kind of happy about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. The Lyft drivers always know best. That's a that's an interesting point. But here's the thing, and I'm looking at this now, the side by side. KU's quad one record is 17 and seven. Houston's was seven and two. Now you may extrapolate that out and say, well, Houston would have had a better quad one record. You can't compare them, Matthew, as you know, because when you're yeah. playing quad one games almost every single night in the Big 12, that's different than Houston having every third or fourth game being a quad one game. You can't compare those two. No, you can't. And I, I think you got to give a little deference to Kansas in that situation when you, you figure. Yeah, you know, like you said, seventeen quad one wins. That's you know that's basically the entire conference schedule. Uh, even if Kansas didn't play anybody in non-conference, which we know they did, they played Duke and a few other teams in non-conference. Um, that's still pretty much the bulk of the conference schedule. If, if all seventeen games are within the league slate, so yeah, it just you know it's. I realize that it's not the only tool, but like we said, it's the most publicly transparent tool. And when you see that kind of a difference, it really sticks out. It does. And on top of that, I mean, Houston loses the AAC tournament championship to Memphis. And, yes, one of their best players was out. But, you know, Kansas, yes, loses to Texas. Head coach is not there. Kevin McCullough is not there with the back spasms. And apparently that matters more than Houston losing a conference tournament to a team that, if they're as good as we think they are, should be able to win a lesser conference tournament, which they did not do on Sunday. So we could go on and on about this, but uh, clearly I think the committee, for whatever reason, uh, didn't have a lot of respect for the Big 12 in general, Matthew. I mean, think about Iowa State and TCU, two teams that we thought could be five seeds. They both made the Big 12 tournament semifinals, and they got six seeds. Is that something else that surprised you, or is that less bothersome? Um, It's less bothersome because I I think, you know, you could make a case for them being a five you could make a case for them being a six. I think the only thing that's bothersome to me is that both of them got a first four opponent, which is a little bit dicey because you don't know who you're going to be playing for 48 hours before your game. So you basically have to scout two teams for a couple of days and prepare for two teams for a couple of days before you actually prepare for the team you're going to play for. That, to me, was the biggest uh, piece that kind of stuck out to me was be a six seed, fine, playing 11, that's not a bad matchup. But when you've got to deal with the first four opponents, when you got to deal with an opponent you don't know who it's going to be until uh, Wednesday or Thursday, that's a little troublesome. Yeah. Now you look at the Midwest Regional, Texas uh, got a two-seed there. So they could end up back in Kansas City where they just won the Big 12 tournament. I mean, I'd rather be Texas on the two-line 
in the Midwest Regional, then Kansas on the one line out west. What do you think about Texas and the path that uh, they've got and what they drew here in the Midwest Regional? You know, I was looking at all the paths for all the Big 12 teams, and you know what? I, I like their path, honestly. I think they're in a really good place. I mean, Colgate is a team they should obviously beat. Uh, it would be either A&M or Penn State in the next round. If they play A&M, that's going to be a whole other thing. But uh, that would be an incredible matchup to see, you know, that they've never played each other, I think, in basketball since A&M left the Big 12. But then beyond that, you get into, you know, Xavier and Iowa State, potentially in the Sweet 16. I think that's a good matchup for Texas either way. And then the other side of the bracket, I mean, it's Houston – you know, Iowa, Miami, Indiana, those are those are all teams that I think Texas has a, a chance of a good chance of beating in the Elite Eight. So I look at their path and I, I think it might actually be the easiest, you know, when put easiest in quotes because it's the NCAA tournament. But I think their path to the final four might actually be the easiest one of the bunch. You know what? I agree with that, especially Houston's injury, some uncertainty there. Uh we'll get to the rest of the Big Twelve, but it just feels to me, Matthew, like this tournament is as wide open as it's been in a while. I mean, you take the really three seeds through the ten seeds, and I don't think there's a huge difference there between a lot of these teams. And the one seeds all have question marks. Houston, the injuries. Kansas, Bill Self, McCuller, you know, some inconsistencies there. Alabama is obviously, you know, a whole nother conversation based on what's happened there off the court, Brandon Miller, everything else. And, uh, you know, Purdue's had a very good season, but they've also uh, lost to teams like Rutgers who didn't make the tournament. So, I don't know. It just feels to me like this thing is as wide open as it's been in quite some time. What about you? Yeah, there's no dominant team this year. I mean, we've talked about Kansas with excellence all year, but we also know that they're vulnerable inside when it comes to, you know, if they play a Purdue with a Zach Eady, I don't know how they're going to defend that because they simply don't have a – a, a stalwart big man inside. In fact, n- nobody in this conference really has a traditional, you know, 6'10", 6'11", pivot inside. Um, and that's kind of the one deficiency all of these teams in the Big 12 share. Now, it's a much more athletic game than it used to be. You have fours and fives that can run the court, shoot the three, and still rebound. But, you know, it's a it's a very balanced field. There's no dominant team. And with Alabama, all you have to look at is the fact that they went to Oklahoma and lost by 25 points in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. That tells me that, you know, they're a team that can be as inconsistent as any other number one seed in the field. Yeah. All right. Now back to the Big 12, uh, three seed Kansas State, East Regional. I wondered if K-State may drop to a four because they lost in the Big 12 quarterfinals, but they got a three seed which, once again, I can't tell if the committee cares more about what happens in tournaments or in the regular season. But for K-State's purposes, they get the three seed. They draw Montana State. They're in the East Regional. Uh, Kansas State, surprised at all by how that played out for them? No, I I think I expected them to be a three. I think that's where I I thought they'd be slotted, and that's where they ended up. I'm not real – if I'm a Wildcat fan, I'm not real thrilled about this this path, though. I mean – you're probably looking at Kentucky in the second round, and Kentucky's finally kind of rounded into form, and they're playing some good ball. You know, you get to the Sweet 16, and it could be Marquette, a, re- a rematch with Shaka, uh, or Michigan State, or USC. You know, three, you know, a couple of really uh, big name programs, and then the other side of the bracket, you've got Purdue there. You know, and that's a huge matchup issue if you get to the Elite Eight and it's Purdue. But you know, Memphis is there, Duke is there, Tennessee is there. I don't think this region is quite as brutal as, say, the one Kansas is in, but it's pretty close. I mean, there's some really good schools there. 
you know, there are some schools that I think can pose some real matchup issues to the Wildcats. Uh, at the same time, you know, if the Wildcats get the right team and the right, you know, performance on the court, they could get all the way to the Elite Eight. That is true. Um, and B, look at that. You're right, by the way. I mean, Duke's one of the hottest teams in the country sitting there as a five seed. I mean, it's just, yeah. it is unbelievable. Uh, there are two Big 12 teams in the South Regional. You've got, of course, Baylor as the three seed taking on UC Santa Barbara. And then you have West Virginia, Maryland. Uh, West Virginia is the nine seed. Winner will likely take on Alabama, the one seed. How about those two teams in that regional and uh, how that looks for each of our Big 12 teams going forward? Well, you know, Baylor's got US, UC Santa Barbara, and they're a, for a lot of folks, they're an upset special pick. They're a really good mid-major team coming out of the West Coast. Um, you know, I, I think Baylor's an interesting team right now because they're having trouble with their their interior game. I mean, their their guards are fantastic uh, when they're on. When they're off, it really kind of impacts everything they want to do. So they're a team that, you know, if you were listening to everybody on Sunday, they were a team that I think a lot of folks could get upset. But let's say they get past the first round. They probably have Crichton wait for the, waiting for them in the second round. And that's a matchup problem because Crichton has a really good center inside. Um, you get past that, then it's, you know, maybe Arizona, maybe Missouri, uh, Arizona could be a real matchup problem for them as well. And then the other side of the bracket, of course, is Alabama, San Diego state, Virginia. Um, I, I think I have a hard time seeing Baylor get out of the first two rounds of the tournament, especially if they get Crichton, because I, I just don't know how they're going to deal with that height inside that Crichton has, um, could be wrong about that. I mean, Baylor is a, a very good defensive team, but uh, I, I worry about their ability to get out of the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Now, West Virginia, I mean, you know, the Maryland game's probably a toss-up. They're actually favored in that game last I saw. But then, of course, you've got Alabama. So uh, how how do we stack the Mountaineers and Bob Huggins' team up against Alabama, which, you know, we watched. I didn't watch a lot of Alabama, but I saw them lose to Oklahoma in pretty convincing fashion. So... What do we take out of all that? Well, I, I think they have the hardest road simply because they have to play a, a one seed in the second round. I don't think you can count on whoever plays Alabama, you know, pulling off a, a UMBC uh, kind of thing. So assuming they beat Maryland, they play Alabama. West Virginia is a, a fairly hot team right now. They, they had a good run down the stretch. Uh, they had a, a good run in Kansas City. I think they're playing good ball. If there's any team in the conference that has an inside presence, it's West Virginia because they've got two or three guys between Bell and Aquanquo that can uh, do some things for them inside. Eric Stevenson is playing some of the best basketball of any guard in the conference right now. Uh, I'd give them a puncher's chance against Alabama on a neutral floor simply because, you know, the one game that Alabama played against a Big 12 team, they got pounded, and they played it against the quote-unquote worst team in the conference in Oklahoma, the one team that finished the season under 500. So, you know, if West Virginia gets to that Alabama game, I think I'm going to be really interested to see how it develops because uh, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a good matchup for them, I think. I am totally on board with you there. Now, do you want to, and I'm asking you on the spot here, do you want to go through – how you think these Big 12 teams, we've done a little bit of this. Do you want to go through where you think everybody gets, or do we want to save that for maybe a midweek show? What's your preference, Matthew? Let's save that, because I, I need to do a little bit more studying before I, I'm with you. Before I, I say that. I'm not, I'm not there yet. We're still kind of uh, reeling out of the uh, Big 12 tournament weekend. By the way, uh, speaking of this past weekend, 
You heard it. I heard it. A lot of chatter about whether or not uh, the Big 12 should split up the men's and women's tournaments starting next year when the women are going to be a week prior to the men's tournaments. You've been up here in Kansas City for the last several tournaments. We've seen this all unfold in front of our eyes. Um, it, it was done in good faith to move the women to T-Mobile Center out of municipal auditorium, get them better amenities, nicer locker rooms. But now you've got some coaches, uh, like Iowa State's women's coach, who said, hey, we kind of like having the men's tournament while we're here. It brings us more fans, everything else. You have suggested, yep. Matthew, there's a way to make it so the Big 12 could play the men's and women's tournaments over a seven-day period the same week. Do you think that's the answer to all this? Uh, I think it's a potential answer. I'm not sure there's anything you can do about it next year because I think the, the barn's out of the door, or the, the horse is out of the barn, so to speak. Um, and you've got 14 teams in each uh, in each tournament. But I think you know going forward, assuming the Big 12 stays at 12 teams, um, you can look at a model that the Western Athletic Conference uses out in Las Vegas. They play their men's and women's tournaments at the same time in the same venue over the course of six days. They start with their women's first-round games on a Monday. Then they go to their men's first-round games on a Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, they go to their women's quarterfinals. And then on Thursday, they go to their men's quarterfinals. And then on Friday, it's women's semifinals and men's semifinals. And then Saturday, it's men's and women's championship games. And they do everything in the same venue. Um, it's a very doable thing if you stay at 12 teams for the foreseeable future. If that's a way to to get everything you want, to get both teams in the same building, to get all the fan bases together at the same time, uh, and, and, and kind of avoid what Fennelly was talking about, which is you know his concern that you know some fans might show up for the, for the men but not the women or vice versa, and you might lose some of that um, overall critical mass that you get with having both tournaments going on at the same time here in Kansas City. I, I know why the Big 12 is doing it. It's an equity thing, you know, to make sure that the women have the same facilities and access to that that the men do, and I think that's, a, I think that's the right decision. But I, I think next year is going to be the test case. Uh, they're going to have to go through it once to see exactly how it works and then if they don't get the fans that they're looking for, if they don't get the kind of attention they're looking for, then they might look to have them at the same time. And that's the model. That's how you do it right there. You, you, have, you just toggle between the men and the women until you get to the semifinals, and then you have the semifinals and the finals on consecutive days. Yeah, and I think that that would work out uh, very, very well. All in all, um, I'm looking at this tournament as I do each and every year, Matthew, and I, you know, I think the way to look at it, the way every team probably looks at it, is three sets of two game tournaments that's what you need to win a national championship three sets of two game tournaments and um, we're going to watch it all play out see how it all unfolds final thoughts as we put a bow in this selection sunday reaction show with you yeah i mean i i think it's going to be a really interesting tournament uh for the big 12 i mean i think there are some high expectations conference-wide uh because of the quality of the play this year and, and one thing that's interesting is you know as coaches were getting eliminated from the big 12 tournament they talked about the fact that they were happy that they weren't going to have to prepare for another big 12 team um they were a little exhausted with um you know having to play each other two times a year as mike boynton put it it's going to be nice to play a team that doesn't know what i'm going to run on offense before i run it these teams know each other so well that by the time they get to the ncaa tournament they they're as battle-tested as any teams in the country. And they're actually looking forward to the opportunity to go play a non-Big 12 team in the first round and, and, and show what they're able to do. Um, you know, we saw it last year. Every team in this conference won their first-round game 
Um, uh, you know, a couple of them, a couple of additional teams could have gotten out of the second round. I think they're prepared. I think the only qu- real question is, you know, are they are they kind of exhausted physically, mentally from a incredibly rigorous, you know, three month conference schedule that you know probably led to the to the most balanced conference race we've seen in a long time. Yes, that's exactly right. It will be a heck of a week here on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. You'll be reading plenty from Matthew. Uh, We'll have more shows and podcasts coming your way. Be sure to be subscribed here at HeartlandCollegeSports.com and be on the website. Join the message boards. We'll have plenty more conversations there as well. Matthew, uh, good to have you on, my man, and a great job at the Big 12 tournament. We'll do this again soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. Great to have Matthew Postens on the show. I'm Pete Mundo, heartlandcollegesports.com. You know what to do. Rate, review, subscribe to the show. That's how you get a free Heartland College Sports koozie. When you do that, send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. We'll get you hooked up with a koozie. It's the only way to get one, by the way. And it's just a way for us to continue to uh, grow this show, which we're doing at the grassroots level because of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.